I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Romans chapter 3. We are returning to our study of Romans this morning, and I want to focus our attention just on the first eight verses of Romans chapter 3. So you can follow along as I read these for us, and I'm sure you're well aware that there's no way we're going to cover eight verses this morning. But I want to read this section for us anyway, because this is really the whole pericope or the whole thought that Paul lays out here and then changes thought or adjusts his thought a little bit beginning in verse 9. So Paul says, then what advantage has the Jew? What is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. But what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man a liar, as it is written, that you might be justified in your words and might prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Of course, I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also being still being judged as a sinner. And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, why not say, let us do evil that good may come? Their condemnation is just. As I was thinking about our time this morning, I am sure that many of you here today have participated in or have taken the time in your life to join some kind of club. Whether that club is because you are involved in some kind of hobby activity that you enjoy, or whether it is because you have, in belonging to that club, some sense of personal security that it gives you, or... uh, for whatever some other reason that you might belong to a club, many of us at some time or another have been part of a club. And it is upon the actual joining of that club, when we actually join it, that we we begin to enjoy then from that club all of the privileges that come with membership. For example, in my own family's life, we belong to some mundane clubs and we belong to some that are of greater importance. For example, we belong to AAA. Many of you probably belong to AAA yourself. There are certain privileges that you receive when you pay your fee with AAA when you are a member. And... Some of those are very important privileges that you get. You get a flat tire on the side of the road, AAA, you just dial your phone, they'll come fix your flat. They'll give you a 
put a new battery in your car. They'll tow your car to a certain area. There's all kinds of simple privileges that you might get, and, and there are varying levels at which those privileges are extended depending on how much you pay. But we also belong to some other mundane clubs, and one of those is Costco. Now, my wife wouldn't say that's a very mundane club, but in reality, it's a mundane club. And one of the privileges of belonging to Costco is that only Costco members can shop at Costco. They give you a card, in fact, when you pay your fee. Only those who have a paid membership can shop at Costco. Those who do not belong to the club do not receive a card. Even those who may have been members in the past who still have their card cannot shop at Costco if their membership is not active, if they are not members in good standing. They cannot benefit from the privileges even though they still hold a club card. It's that way with any club, really. You can go around telling people that you are in a group because you have the card. But just having the card doesn't put you in the group. I'm sure many of you belong to a gym. The gym gives you a little card. You tell them the number on the way in. But just because you have that card doesn't necessarily mean you get into the club if your gym membership is not paid. You lose privilege. And in a similar fashion this morning, this is part of the underlying implication that the Apostle Paul is driving in the text in Romans chapter 3. The inevitable question that is implied and is being anticipated by the Apostle Paul with which he asks in verse 1 is because of the previous indictment that he laid at the feet of the Jews about their guiltiness before God. He told them that your religion and your very knowledge and your heritage, your religious right of even circumcision, does you no good before God by way of salvation. You are, in fact, guilty. You say you are part of the group, but that does you no good. And the implication would be in the minds of the Jews that the Apostle Paul was overstating his case concerning them. How dare you say that we're not somehow secure before God? Why? Because they had sovereignly, or they had believed that because God had sovereignly chose them, in their minds, they had a sense of security before God, even though it was a false sense of security. They had this sense of security before God that was based upon the fact that God had chosen them as his own people, and from all of the people of the world, they were special. Now, if you go back to the previous illustration that I talked about, just because some may have the card doesn't necessarily mean that they are a good member, that they are a member in good standing. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're secure before God. Just because you have the sign of circumcision doesn't mean you're secure before God. Just because 
of those things doesn't mean that automatically you're going to receive the blessing of salvation from God. In fact, go back to the history of the Jews as a people, for the most part, it's really a tragic history, isn't it? Think about the Jews from all of history. It's really tragic as you catalog all the times they have been under such trouble. In fact, one commentator put it this way, quote, their history has been a saga of slavery, hardship, warfare, persecution, slander, captivity, dispersion, and humiliation, unquote. It's certainly true, even up to our day, when we think through all that has taken place in the life of the nation of Israel. From time to time, as their humble beginnings from Abraham up to the current turmoils of our own day, the Jews as a collective people in their collective lives as a nation have been filled with not only exile to other nations and other countries around the globe and around the world, but it's been filled with warfare, and it's all aimed at one intent, to exterminate the Jews. The Jewish people have always historically had a small amount, really, of social and political security in the world. And yet then Paul comes along and he says to them, listen, even though you may be God's chosen people, you have no guarantee for spiritual security just because you're a Jew. You have no real ability to stand before God simply because you have some kind of external covenant sign called circumcision. In one sense, you can really sum it up this way. Being a Jew by heritage mattered very little. And knowing God's law or or being actually circumcised was to be no assurance at all for entrance into God's heavenly kingdom. In other words, the externals can't save you. That's the idea Paul's getting at. The externals can do nothing to save you. And so Paul, having really dismantled, if you will, all that is held by the Jew as a means for entry into the kingdom of God by their ritually religious practices, Paul anticipates the next question. And he gives it to us here in verse 1. This is the anticipated question. This isn't necessarily what Paul is asked by the Jew, but this is the anticipated question, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 1 says, then what advantage has the Jew? I mean, if if we are Jews and and all of these things happen, we've had circumcision and yet we're still guilty before God, what advantage has the Jew? What benefit is circumcision? I mean, why go through all of that? Paul knew this line of questioning was coming. In fact, he had already addressed this same question many times in dealing with his Jewish brothers throughout his ministry in the past. In fact, he addressed it so often that this got him thrown in prison several times. 
throughout the book of Acts. And yet Paul's message was always salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's Paul's message all the time. And that message is an indicting message to those who want to say that salvation is by works. It wasn't that Paul didn't consider any of the external things to be important. That's that's not in Paul's mind. Paul doesn't say, well, external things have zero importance at all. Certainly for the Jewish people, these are important things. Most importantly, because they were given to them by God. But they were meant, never meant to be taken by those who had them as a means of personal justification before God. They were never meant to to say to a person, if you are a Jew or if you have been circumcised, therefore you are secure, you are justified based upon that fact before a holy God. They were never meant to do that. And so the question comes, what benefit then do we have? If our heritage does us no good before God, what benefit? What benefit do we have if our sign of the covenant does us no good before God? I mean, take just that idea and put it in our own context. What benefit is it if I grew up in the church, in a Christian home? What benefit do I have if the act of being baptized does me no good before God? benefit is it for the Catholic to go through the sacraments of the church? Now again, in my simplistic illustration that I have shared with us earlier, we could say it this way. What benefit do we have if we have the club card, but it will not ensure us entrance into the store? benefit. In other words, or in the words of the moralist, I should say, of our day, we could say it this way. What good is it for me to go to church? What good is it for me to read a Bible? What good is it for me to do good deeds to other people if those things will not guarantee me a place with God for all eternity? good is it? What benefit do I have? It's that line of questioning. It's that line of argumentation that Paul begins to dismantle in the first 20 verses of chapter 3. He begins to answer the Jews' objections because by experience he knows the arguments firsthand. We know who Paul was as a person prior to his conversion. He tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, according to the law, a Pharisee. By means of the law, in other words, in obedience to the law, I was blameless. 
In other words, not only was I part of the nation of Israel as a Jew, but I was also of a tribe through which the Messiah came. I I was like the Jew of Jews. I mean, if you want to put a sticker on somebody that should have justification before God by way of the means of outward works and heritage and, and all of the things of the law, I'm the guy, Paul said. Nobody did it better than I did. When it came to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Anybody who went against the church, anybody who went against that kind of thinking, I wanted them dead. And so Paul intimately knows the argument because he was one who waged the argument from the other side before his conversion. And the accusation that was continually leveled against Paul was that Paul now taught that God was unfaithful to his people, that God was actually against his chosen people. By preaching the gospel, Paul's being accused now of one who says God is actually against the people he chose. So the argument of the Jew was that according to Paul, God was, in fact, sinful. In other words, the gospel made God a sinful person because God doesn't keep His promises. And so Paul begins then to address these foolish accusations here in chapter 3. And he anticipates the question of the Jew because Paul knew it well. He had raised that himself. So the first accusation is this. If we, the Jew, God's chosen people, if we are guilty like everybody else who isn't a Jew, as you say we are, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? What's the advantage of having the covenant sign of circumcision? Implication? You are saying God is actually against us. You're saying God is actually against us. That's really what's behind the question in verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew or what benefit is circumcision? And the Old Testament is very clear. The Jews are, in fact, God's chosen people. Just listen. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. Behold, the Lord, or behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So it is clear, or at least it should be, Israel had been called out by God as a special people. And he had given them promises of blessing. And there are a whole host of passages. The Old Testament is replete with passages that speak to that kind of truth. And yet, here's Paul in Romans making it very clear, patently clear in Romans chapter 2, that physical descendancy alone guarantees nothing spiritually to anyone. Being a Jew for justification is worthless. 
as we said last time, listen, if there is no inward heart change, all of the outward privilege, all of the outward works mean nothing. They mean nothing. And even though that was and is the case, Paul says, even though that is the case, that you your heritage means little by way of justification and your circumcision, the sign of the covenant, means little by way of justification, in fact means zero by way of justification, even all of that, even because that's the case, they still have a great advantage being a Jew. Really? Paul says in verse 2, notice, that it is a great advantage being a Jew. Why? It's great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now here is the, the massive reality of the advantage of someone who is not had the special love of God placed upon them. They are different because for the Jew, God gave them His Word. They were given privileges that no Gentile nation ever had. Not only would God not allow them and still to this day has not allowed them to be exterminated, They were given exclusive and perpetual promises that no other nation had. God has promised them a land. God has promised them that they would be a people. And God has promised them that their nation would be a blessing through Abraham through whom the whole world would be blessed. These blessings were great. They were wonderful. And yet even with blessings, as what often happens when, when we are promised things, what often happens is we tend to forget what might happen if we don't keep the promise. And the Jews were no different focused on one side and they forgot about the negative side. They forgot about the consequences if they were not faithful. God even said to the nation of Israel, Amos chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which He brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, so it's back to Amos, therefore in light of all your disobedience, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. It's true, I've chosen you and I've promised all these blessings to you and yet you have chosen to forsake obedience to me. I will punish you for all your iniquities. You say, what is God saying? He's saying, Where there is given much privilege, 
pastor has also required the exercise of much responsibility. I remember back in 1983, I joined the United States military. Stood there in front of the American flag and swore that I would uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Entering the United States military in the Air Force and upon doing that, I was issued a military ID card. And on the back of that ID card, it said this, property of the U.S. government. In other words, while I may have had the privileges of being a soldier within the government, the access to all the privileges that came with that were always owned by the government and could be removed from me by the government if I abused my exercise of responsibility. The Jews had great privilege. And one of the greatest privileges was that they had been entrusted with the oracles of God. They'd been given the word of God. Now listen, they had great privilege being a Jew. They had all kinds of promises. They were God's chosen people. And Paul is saying, you want to know your best advantage? You want to know the greatest advantage of simply being a Jew? The very basic of all the privileges that was being given to you was the fact that you have the word of God. You have God's Word spoken to you. The actual divine speaking of God given to you. This is what Paul is saying when he uses the word first. This isn't first in a list of advantages. This is the ultimate advantage. In other words, there is no higher advantage. There is no more greater advantage. This is it. You have the advantage. This does not mean that this is the first in a sequence of important things that God gave you. No. This is the basic of your very being chosen as God's people. He communicated with you. We might say it this way. At the very least, they had God's Word. Oracles of God. In other words, God chose them God did not leave them without direction. They had the Word of God. They had a code of conduct. They had direction from God as as to what God wanted and how God wanted all mankind to know about Him. They had the Word from God about what would bring God glory, how God's name could be honored among them and in their lives. And because these were the words from God, they were to be accepted in their entirety. They were not to be dissected and put over here and one piece taken as fact and the other piece taken as foolishness. They were not to be decided upon as to what would be obeyed and what would not be obeyed. These were the words of God. I was thinking about that recently of If you join a club and are inducted into that special organization, the rules of that club are not negotiable. 
They are to be accepted in their entirety. You go to the club, you sign the paperwork, the paperwork says this, here's the rules of the club. You don't get to negotiate those. And so it was with the Jews, so it is with the Word of God. God has entrusted His spoken Word, His holy Word, the oracles of Himself, not only initially to the Jews, but He's given them to everybody. And it's an immense privilege. Privilege comes immense responsibility. The great privilege of having the very words of God comes with the awesome responsibility of following after God's word. Obedience. Obedience from the heart. But that was the problem with the Jews the problem with the heart of many today, isn't it? Interesting passage. We were reminded of yesterday in men's breakfast. I was just thinking of this. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. It's an interesting verse because we talk about it often, about the heart, the heart of man. We'd like to we were exhorted yesterday as Randy was teaching at men's breakfast, don't follow your heart. We like to say, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Here's why. The heart is more deceitful than all else. You think you got a good heart? God says you don't. It's an uneven place. Uh, the Hebrew word for deceitful there is a, is a word that really carries the idea of of something that impedes progress. Uh, the heart of man is is something that impedes progress more than anything else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah asked. We read that verse sometimes. We go, yeah, see, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. And we stop right there. You you can't go to verse 9 without verse 10. Jeremiah 17.10. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. This is the reality of the heart. The Jews had a problem in their heart. Well, they had all kinds of activity, but they had a problem in their heart. I think that's the problem our day, isn't it? There's much focus on the privilege of having the Word of God. The Jews had the oracles of God. We talk a lot about, oh, we have the Bible. Isn't it so wonderful we have the Bible? And rightly so. How much attention is given to the responsibility that we have as Christians to obeying the implications of the Word of God in our life? You see, sometimes I think we fall prey to the same things the Jews were falling prey to. We think that carrying the Bible under our arm is our justification before God. After all, we believe the Bible. Is 
Is it a privilege to have the Word of God in your hand? Is it a privilege? Do you think of it like that? What privilege I have to have the oracles of God. Is it a privilege to be able to study the Word of God, the Word that God gave you in freedom? Is it a privilege? Is it a privilege to be an instrument in the hand of God as one who could disseminate His Word to other people? Is that a privilege? Is it a privilege for a sinner to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from you? great privilege for many here to have grown up in a home where God is proclaimed. That's a great privilege. But it's a tragedy when the Word isn't taken in. Great privilege. Sad tragedy. A tragedy of life when, when we as Christians squander our privilege. We pick up our Bibles once in a while have it available to us each and every day. It's a tragedy for us as professing Christians to study it so little when we have the open freedom to do it at any time. Isn't it a tragedy for us when a person has the privilege to hear the truth concerning Jesus Christ and we turn our backs on the opportunity? You see, with privilege comes great responsibility. And if it will not be obeyed, the privilege of blessing may be removed. You certainly see that in Revelation with the churches their disobedience, their unwillingness to do what Christ had said. He said, I'm going to remove your lampstand. The Jews cared little about what the law said. In fact, over time, they lost the law of God. They lost it. They didn't even know where it was. It wasn't until the law was found by Hilkiah, the high priest, under the reign of King Josiah, that God once again begins to bless Israel for a time. They always fell back again. They began to give more credence to the man-made traditions themselves, to the externals rather than to the internal implications of what God was commanding. In fact, in Jesus' day, the pride of the Jewish leaders was that they knew the law. That's what they prided themselves on. We know what the law says. But really, they're just simply saying, we know what the Bible says. They were the experts in the oracles of God. They'd been given the oracles of God, and now here they are as the experts in them. And when they try to corner Christ with a question about marriage in heaven, He gives an answer to them which is profound. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through 24, records it this way. 
And some Sadducees, Sadducees, remember, were those of the sect who said there was no resurrection. So they must not have been that much of an expert in the law because it spoke of resurrection. Some Sadducees came to Christ and they began questioning, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. That's what the law says. Therefore, when seven bro- there were seven brothers, the first took a wife, died, leaving no offspring. The second one took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise. And so all seven left no offspring. Last of all, the women died. In the resurrection, these are the Sadducees, remember, they don't believe in the resurrection, but they're trying to stump Christ. In the resurrection, so you say there is one. When they all rise again, which one's she going to be the wife of? Implication, which one's she going to be married to when they get to heaven if there is such a thing as resurrection? And Jesus says to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? That you do not understand the Scripture. Oh, man, I love you. You think you're so smart. Isn't this the very reason you're clueless? You don't even understand what you're talking about. You don't understand the Scriptures. You don't even understand the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. They're like angels in heaven. They they had no clue. They had the law. They claimed they were experts in it, but they didn't understand a thing. Jesus says, you should know these things But because you have disregarded the Word of God and held to man-made traditions, because you have disregarded what God said and held to the things you believe you can do, the externals for your justification, you understand nothing. Why? Because you've squandered your privilege. Great privilege, great advantage. But you've squandered it. old poet William Cowper said it this way, quote, they and they only amongst all mankind receive the transcript of the eternal mind, where they were entrusted with his own engraven laws and constituted guardians of his cause. Theirs were the prophets, theirs the priestly call, and theirs by birth the Savior of us all, unquote. They had all the All the truth concerning Christ. All they ever needed to be saved, they had. They were even shown what faith was to look like through Abraham. But most chose to follow the external. Most chose to follow tradition. To follow after man-made religion. Most followed after the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who they should have followed would have been the righteousness of God given in His Word that would come through the Messiah who was promised to come. They rejected all that. This is great privilege in every way. 
we have it also. We have it from the beginning of history. The privilege was given to know of Christ. It came through the Jews, through Moses, to the prophets. The word of God revealed all that he had in store for his people, all that he has in store for the world through a justification that comes by faith and not by externals. It is by faith alone. It is not by following external rites and rituals. The Jews had this treasure entrusted to them. You see that? Verse 2. Entrusted. It was a great advantage. That word entrustment is the same word for believe. It's the same word you find all the way back in John 2 where people were believing in Jesus, but he wasn't entrusting himself to them. Same word. This was entrusted to them. This was given to them, granted to them by God. A great treasure entrusted. It was a great advantage because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. same attitude that was in the heart of the Jews is the same heart attitude that's in many today. Maybe even sitting right here today. There's been many who have attached themselves to external religion. Many who have convinced themselves justifying themselves that being part of the club affords them all the privileges for the future no matter what they do. Teachings of some religious group or some other group eclipse and often even sometimes completely just contradict what God has said in His Word. And they follow it anyway. We have people sitting even in this very church who have heard the gospel is by faith alone in Christ alone. It it comes from God. You can't earn it yourself. And yet people go away still trying to earn it themselves. Why? Because it's easy to think that just belonging to a church or just carrying your Bible can be much like that of being a Jew. You convince yourself that you have a security with God simply because you do it. None of those things are a means in which any of us can claim entrance into God's kingdom. No. They afford us great privilege. They afford us an immense privilege over those who do not have any of that kind of privilege. I mean, you have the Word of God. You have a great privilege over somebody who doesn't have the Word of God. A massive privilege. Those of you who grew up in Christian homes, you have a massive privilege over somebody who doesn't grow up in a Christian home. You have been exposed to truth that you continually reject if you don't embrace Jesus Christ. You've done it ever since you could hear your parents' words. You have a great privilege to be in a church where the Word of God is preached with clarity. 
all of those privileges in and of themselves are no benefit for salvation. They will not justify you before God. You will not ever stand before God and say, well, I grew up under Christian parents, therefore you must let me into your kingdom. Nope. Well, I, I, I was given a, a Bible at my first quote-unquote confirmation or whatever you want to call it, and, and, and I, I kept that Bible with me, and I put my, all my important papers in it, and I had it on my shelf, and I moved it from house to house to house. It's been with me my whole life, and now here I am dead. They even put it in my coffin. I can't come in. But wait a minute, I was sprinkled as a baby. I, I went through all the sacraments of the church. I did all of these kinds of things. You mean I can't come in? No. Away from me, I never knew you. You had great privilege. But you never embraced Jesus Christ by faith alone. Those things are only a benefit if they're taken advantage of by faith. If the message is embraced by faith. See, if it won't be believed, then the guilt and condemnation will only be worse. You have great privilege, you reject that great privilege, your condemnation is only going to be worse. And so I'll ask us this question as we close our time. Have you squandered your privilege? Have you abused and ignored your responsibility? You see, are you carrying around the club Christianity card? Thinking that it's going to be enough for entrance into the kingdom of God? When in fact... The dues that have to be paid can never be paid by you. They're only paid by Christ. And yet because you refuse Jesus Christ, the dues paid by Christ are never applied to you. You refuse to embrace the one who paid them. Great privilege. And yet we have a great responsibility. shown himself to all men. And all men will stand before him guilty according to what he has given them and we have been given his word. And we'll get more next time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the patience of your people even in this cold room. I pray their hearts have been warmed by what they've heard, challenged by what we know, challenged to even confess if they need to, to not run from the truth but embrace it. Lord, we know all men are guilty, as you have clearly stated. And while the Jews had great advantage because they had the words of God, we too have great advantage because we have the word of God even more than they had. What do we do with it? Do we embrace it? Do we obey it? Do we follow after it?
Do we know it because we study it? Or do we just simply bring it under our arm, toss it on the front seat of the car and never see it again? Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Each one of us, not looking at the other person, but looking at ourselves, our own heart. Challenge us with these things that we might have real security because we know Jesus Christ who has given us all these things. Bless us now by your Spirit. Cause us to to be a reflection of what you have already given us in Christ. By means of our faith in Him, we walk in obedience to Him. Thank you for the joy that we have because of that. All for your glory and all for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.